Good day, Mr. Langell. How's it going? Good day, sir. Ah, I always think too long to answer this question. Uh, <laughs> um, it's okay. Uh, we're a little less early than, than uh, is often the case, so it's nice to have slept in a little more. Yeah? yeah. Did, did you get eight hours? Um, I did get eight hours, but, wow. but the only reason my body let me get eight hours is because the night before I got about probably one and a half. Nice. And so since I was practically dying last so, night, I just passed okay. out. <laughs> so, so you're averaging a little bit more than four then. <laughs> yeah. So the average is not too far off the, the usual. Um, the but it, was, it was a good night. How are you? Nice. Uh, yeah, I think I'm pretty consistently getting six and a half to seven and a half hours these days. I know. Right on. I've been uh, I've been exercising a lot more, and those Me days. Me too. Nice, nice, nice. There you go. I I find those days uh, I can sleep a lot more soundly. Um, if I'm like really exhausted afterwards. Um, yeah. And so that's definitely helped. I think I think in March last year, at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, we stopped having to go to the office to work, mm-hmm. and uh, so without a commute i no longer exercised Uh, so so i've i've officially been uh, exercising every day for uh, about a week and a half now since uh, since... (laughs) a week and a half nice no awesome that's awesome that's awesome what is what is exercise uh i've got an exercise bike nice um which i've i've owned the entirety of the time i've lived in montreal i've just not used it (laughs) (laughs) but i've i've decided to actually enforce lunch breaks on myself now instead of just continuing to work right uh, and so during my lunch break i i put on a, a show on netflix and i use my exercise bike yes i ha- also had an exercise bike and i used to do that as well uh they had a gym here um or well I, they have a gym at the condo i live in and it, because of the pandemic it was closed for like a year and a half or something mm-hmm. um and they recently opened it because like the the regulations lightened or whatever and let them open it uh, so I did the exercise bike thing for a while. It's kind of funny because I was watching uh, the very first Gundam, <laughs> which I mean, I don't, I don't even really watch cartoons too much or whatever. But like, I, I, I was watching it fairly religiously, and then they opened the gym, and I just stopped immediately. Like the only reason I was watching it is because I was doing the exercise gym, uh, exercise bike thing. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's the same rate. I, I'm watching a, a show called Suits, which is uh, lawyers pretending think- to be in New York when they're actually in Toronto. Yeah, yeah. I, I know the show. My uh, my wife watches it or used to, I think. Yeah. yeah. So I I knew nothing of it other than that it's like 42 minutes per episode and there's 9 seasons ah. of it. So I figure if I if I just watch the entirety of that while I'm on my bike every day then uh that's, <laughs> that's hilarious that that's the criteria you've chosen. It's long <laughs> enough that I won't run out of it, so I will watch it and enforce my exercise regime that way. Yeah, it's like I'm I'm going to be getting at least three months of exercise out of this, and <laughs> and it, and it's it's like not too short. It, right on. I can finish it during my lunch break. Nice, nice. I I'm very much not a lunch break person. I I even when I was at the office, I very rarely took lunch breaks. It was a uh, it was hit and miss for me when I worked in film. Uh, we tended to take like go to restaurants or or take our pack lunches to a park or something almost every day mm-hmm. um and then in in the games industry it seems like everyone opted to to stay at their desks and and they usually take breaks but it's, it's, an, it's, it's like a, it's an industry thing 
not like just well, the companies you've worked at. What? Well, yeah, it's definitely you know every single employee in every single studio <laughs> is identical. <laughs> Uh, no, the, the, the two studios that I, I worked at, uh, that seemed to be a common thing, um, is that every, everyone would just like watch Netflix or Twitch or something at their desks. Right. They, they did still take a break. They didn't work, but they didn't leave their desk. I see. I see. I see. The pandemic started. I, I mean, I don't really take lunch breaks, but I, I'll go like lay down for 10 minutes here and there just cause I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> well, every now and then I'll, I'll lay down. For more than 10 minutes but <laughs> <laughs> well so so i used to work at microsoft which uh of the big tech companies is fairly known for like giving you your own office most companies don't yeah. do that i actually yeah. don't know if microsoft even still does that but because you had your own office i actually had coworkers that would just do exactly that like at lunch they just shut their door and just lay on the floor for an hour and uh, uh or like they would literally put like a little cot in their office and sleep yeah. every day and uh, i don't know it yeah. seems it, it might strike you as weird but i mean why not like I mean, it does and it doesn't. Like, I have on at least one occasion, on two occasions throughout my career, I have uh, not left the office within like a thirty-six hour period of time. I think you told me about one of those times. Uh, the, I, I mean, they they were both pretty self-inflicted, but it's like the the case where it's like you feel like there's a deadline that's looming, mm-hmm. and and you just when you're in film you, you got to wait. Like if you're doing visual effects stuff, like you, you just got to wait, you, you do a simulation and it's going to take potentially hours. Mm-hmm. Um, but the question is if, if it's a short enough duration, is it a better use of your time to nap next to your computer or to actually go home and then come back? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, right. And, and when I was young and naive, my, my, uh, my thought process was like, I, I got to stay and do it now. Now I'm an old timer and I, I you get the hell out of doing that. Yeah. <laughs> right on, right on. Yeah. I don't know that I've explicitly done that at an office uh, at any point, but I've certainly, uh, I don't know, since the pandemic happened, I've had some rough deadline things where it's like, I'm kind of just working and I might as well finish this and I'm doing well. So I'm going to stick with it. And then the next thing I know, it's like whatever in the morning. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of, I mean, people talk about that. I, I do, I do find I've actually, uh, experienced it myself where like the border between like the end of the workday and the start of your evening is now blurred because it's, uh, you don't, you don't have the commute home to break it up. Um, did you, uh, did you ever do all nighters at school? Oh, many times in like university. Yeah. But I mean like oh, yeah. literally at the school. Yeah. Literally at the school, all nighters, yeah. literally at the school, all nighters. Um, yeah, I had, like, like, like... <laughs> I had like major projects due back to back. And so I do work on the, pro- I, I think I did two all nighters in a row once. And I remember nice. that time, and I remember how sick I was afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I was in pretty bad health in school. Like I, I was malnourished, and I would literally like my vision would go black while I was walking down the hallway. <laughs> Man, <laughs> I didn't have that quite happen. Yeah, I had that happen on multiple occasions. Like, uh, and it was like, yeah, that was fun. Yeah, I'll bet. <laughs> I'll bet. I'll bet. I'll bet. Well, uh, I was curious since you've worked at all these different places. Um, mm-hmm. Not only it's interesting, you've worked, I guess, kind of you switched industries and then you've also mm-hmm. switched from like more bigger companies to smaller companies. Uh, kind of just like your experience going through that. Um, first, actually, I'm, I'm interested just like, I mean, 
VFX in film versus VFX in games. Uh, I think you like games better. Maybe that's just because you like games better. I don't know. But how how's how's that transition gone? Um, well, I think it's it's a it's it's interesting now. I mean, I feel like I've always been like fluctuating everything that I I do. Like when I went to school, I was doing hand drawn animation, and like I, I chose a school for that, thinking that I probably would be animating characters for Disney or something on, on their really? huge lineup of 2D films. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, 1998, uh, 2002. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I actually, I thought you were like gunning for like more of a digital, like a, like a visual effects type role from the beginning. I was, but not necessarily consciously. I see. Um, like, I think when I was in art class back in, in high school, uh, I don't know. It was like the time of year where people were trying to decide what to what colleges to apply to and stuff. And I didn't really have a big plan, but I remember like I used to watch much music, uh, and they had they had uh, these little short films that would be put on the air every now and then from the computer animation program. At I remember that. I yeah, I remember that. Um, yeah, yeah. So that was like a big inspiration to me, and then. I think that was around the time that Tarzan had come out as well, the the Disney Tarzan. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was 1999. So I must have just been like seeing it for around the first time on VHS or something, like in the art classroom, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there, I remember there was a sequence where he's like sliding down these tree trunks, and uh, like I was learning a, about like the tech that went into that, and that, that was kind of interesting. So I just kind of like made up my mind that like there's a film industry in Halifax, uh, I should probably do animation. And so I went to the the school that was geared for that. So I was doing all that. And, and it was like, I think it was my second year of the animation program when I finally like put, figured out what my interests were and realized I didn't give a crap about character animation and I wanted to do effects. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of started teaching myself effects on the side and, and got interested in that. And, and that led into uh, Houdini and, and doing like procedural 3d stuff instead of anything related to hand drawn. Um, but I, but I found that, I found that kind of interesting because like there was this kind of like constant shifting of interests throughout the whole like college period. And then like, I, I went to the software company that makes Houdini and I was working there and, and like kind of getting to have my, hand on everything like doing a little bit of modeling doing animation and like material like shading type stuff and and lighting and like being a generalist basically Mm -hmm. is is what you'd call that in in graphics um but i still kind of headed in my head that vfx is like the thing that i wanted to do like there's so much problem solving and like puzzle solving and stuff involved with that like i guess kind of in the same lines that you would have with, with engineering, like you're constantly figuring out how things work and trying to make it do things in an efficient way. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that, that always was interesting to me, but I, I kind of still had it in my head that I wanted to do film. Uh, like that's what I went to animation school. Why am I at a software company? So I eventually quit that and got into film and, and did uh, VFX for a variety of stuff, like fully, CG, uh, a mix CG and, and live action films. Uh, was that hard to get into, or were people like, like I mean, it's it's competitive. Yeah, um, 
yeah, there's there's a lot of people that want to do it. I mean, it's it's hard for me to have any sort of numbers on mm-hmm. that because like everyone that I went to school with went into like storyboarding or like concept art or or mm-hmm. uh, 2D stuff. Like there were a few people that went into 3D, but at the time none of them were interested in visual effects. Right. So so I didn't get to see people applying and failing. I was just like me in my own bubble. Yeah. Um, but, but it's, so I don't know, it's the sort of thing where I have typically had, I, I don't know if I interview well, uh, combined with, you know, being generally competent. <laughs> um, I, I've, I've generally been able to choose the places that I work at and, and stuff. So it's, uh, I, I'm sure there's people that don't have that degree of success. Um, cool. so, but yeah, it, it is competitive. Like there's, there's thousands of people and i guess that depends on the time period too like right now during uh, covid like there's so much of a glut in the film industry of like uh content that needs to be produced whereas there's just like not enough artists to fill that gap so it's like i feel like there's a lot of job security for visual effects artists at the moment where like you've got headhunters trying to poach people from other companies right well from what i gauge it seems like a well, I don't know. Depends what your uh, definition of good is, but uh, uh, generally a, a secure career, I guess. Or is that not the case at all? I mean, it seems like you jump from company to company, but there's always work. Yeah, um, it's it. It tends to be not very junior friendly. Mm. Um, they tend like a lot of the these like the Marvel films and stuff that are coming out. Like the, there's a lot of complex stuff going on in them, mm-hmm. and so it, they tend to want to hire more senior people that really know what they're doing instead of juniors. Um, so it can still be hard to, to break into it, but generally the film studios like Disney owns practically all, all of the properties out there like Disney or, or mm-hmm. uh, Warner or whoever owns like all the properties. And then they, they find people to do the work for them on their IPs. Mm-hmm. So all the like boutique studios and stuff like the places I worked at, they generally don't own anything. They're service shops and they're all like bidding to, to compete with the other companies. So you'll have like six or seven studios that all are working on like the next Avengers film. Right. Um, and it's like a race to the bottom in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and because it's a race for to the bottom, like margins are tight and generally when they hire people, they're hiring for the duration of the film. So yeah. it's, it tends to be contract per project and, often they'll have something lined up and and artists can roll from one production onto another production but it's not always the case or it might be the case that um you know if there's a lot of fire in one film and there's nothing but water in the next film like why would you hire why would you keep your staff around that has no experience with water right yeah um so so people will get laid off and other people get hired some people may decide that they have had enough and just quit entirely I don't, I don't know what it's like for film anymore, but I think the retention for, for artists in the game industries, it tends to be something like five years and then they switch into a different industry. Different industry. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I don't know enough about like an art career. I would have thought, I mean, I know game companies have a mixed reputation sometimes, but I would have thought it would be like a generally good career for an artist. What do they, what, what do people typically switch into? If you know, um, honestly, I don't know. Um, 
I, I haven't paid <laughs> all that much attention. Into it. <laughs> I know there's a lot of burnout. Like there's a lot of mm-hmm. people who, you know, like I said, early in my career, I felt like it was important to get stuff done for the deadline. And, and mm-hmm. I did sleep at my desk a couple of times. There's some people that never really learn to say no uh, and, and to not push back against stuff like that. And, and I think those people kind of feel like the pressure is too strong and they just want out. Like they don't want to yeah. do 60 hour weeks or 90 hour weeks or, and they, they don't realize that they can do a 40 hour week. Yeah. Um, so, so they, they just burn out and quit. Um, or, or, you know, it's completely also just fair that maybe you're like me where I'm taking animation and I realize that's not what I want to do. I want to do effects. Some people yeah. just, they, they get there, they do the work. It's it, the, the dream that they developed in their head from watching uh, Jurassic Park or Terminator 2 or something isn't necessarily the same as what it's like working in, and they, they decide to get out. Yeah. Um, yep, I can see that. I can see that. Okay. And how long were you in film anyway? It was like quite a while. A decade? Uh, two th- no, not that long. Uh, 2009 to 2013. So, I mean... I guess there's your four years. Like if, I, if statistically I'm out of the <laughs> film industry, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right on. Okay. Um, but and, yeah, I mean, you, 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 uh, mentioned earlier, like whether I like doing VFX better in film or games, like th- I think it's a, a very different experience. And, and I, yeah. I personally really prefer it in games to film. Interesting. Um, I mean, games, like, I guess it's, it's about the real time. Mm-hmm. nature of it whereas film you're just like setting something up to be perfect have it yeah, but, have it be generated yeah yeah it's i mean it's got to be it's got to work from a specific camera angle mm-hmm. and no other camera angle most of the time so it's like you're really trying to to cheat things and yeah. overload it with as much detail and stuff as you can to get everything to work exactly right from that one angle yeah. like i said sim- simulations if i'm doing a water simulation it could take like as much as an hour for a frame mm-hmm. on a, on a 24 frame per second production to, yep. to simulate. Uh, so if you're just like waiting, if you're lucky, there's space on the far on the render farm where you can like send that simulation off and do it remotely and then just continue to do some other stuff on your computer. But that wasn't always the case. And mm-hmm. sometimes you just have to be at your desk sitting there doing nothing while you're waiting for a simulation. Um, wow. And, you know, an, an hour is excessive. Like it's it's much more likely that it's like five minutes a frame or something like that. But it, it's still like you're waiting yeah. hours for your sequence to to finish, and then if it doesn't work right, you got to redo it. <laughs> so there's a, there's a lot of uh, downtime, and and I found like there were some times where it's like I was using all the resources on my computer so heavily that like I couldn't even look at YouTube what to pass the time. Uh, rough <laughs> yeah so so i don't know there's there's something special about the film industry where like there's this um making stuff work in sequence with other artists and like have all the shots blend together seamlessly and and uh having something that looks like really uh, overwhelmingly surreal or whatever mm-hmm. when you're looking up on this on the big screen and then you get to see your name in the credits and stuff like there's something magical about that and and it is fun to do a lot of the problems that you get to solve as an effects artist are, are like interesting um technically so i did enjoy it but 
with with games uh like a film will have like i think on happy feet 2 we had something like 60 effects artists working mm-hmm. on a two-hour film and then on gears of war 5 i'm sorry gears of war 4 i think we had something like eight effects artists working on like a 10-hour game right. so so it's like it tends to be much more of like do what you can and you're you're given a lot more um independence to determine what can get done and what you just have to leave on the on the editing room floor and not do in Um, uh, in games you mean yeah like like if you're doing like environmental effects for for a level or something it's just like okay do i need water dripping off of these tree branches or or like you 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 do as much as you can and but at the end of the day you have to just realize like you can't do everything you want to do and you just have to uh, uh, compromise a little bit so so it's it's interesting because like you always have a ton of small tasks and you have the ability to not do some of them like so i don't know with with, with film it was always like this is what was planned for the shot this is what's in the surrounding shots you have to do everything it like That's you don't it, have con- yeah. you don't have any control over what's getting done like there's no independence um, and you prefer the game version of that yeah, like I, I prefer feeling like I'm making decisions that matter. Yeah. Um, and then because everything has to work at real time, I'm not doing these like five minute per frame simulations. Like, like every now and then there might be like a, a cin- like I don't tend to do cinematic stuff. So mm-hmm. like for cinematics, you might still have to do some of that. But for all the in game stuff, it's it's tends to be a lot of like constantly working in real time to like develop the materials or the particles or or uh, figuring out the scripting and stuff like i'm i'm constantly busy all day long with almost no downtime at all right on right on yeah that sounds way better <laughs> yeah it's like <clears throat> very actively engaging uh to do that that's like i i guess kind of related because i've i've been branching out of vfx a little bit um mm-hmm. like my my official title now is i'm i'm an effect i'm the effects lead at the studio that i'm at but i'm also a gameplay designer and a UX designer. Okay. Do um, they do they do you find there's a lot of uh, interplay between the the I guess the roles? Like if it was separate people, would they be in separate rooms or they, would they work closely together? Um, it varies. Like I've I've found that I've always been the type of person that like the experience matters to me. Mm-hmm. Like so, um, I'm trying to think of examples. Like I mean, I, even in film when you're doing effects work, it's not always just like fire and explosions and water. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's a sequence in um, monsters versus aliens, a DreamWorks film where there's like a, the character is um, interacting with like a dance, dance revolution, dance pad type thing as like an interface for his computer. Mm-hmm. And like every time he steps somewhere like the buttons light up and there's, there's stuff that's going on. It's like, that's not what people would typically associate with VFX but there's like this scripting stuff that's going on with like a ui um or like if you're looking at iron man as he's looking around he's got like a hud that's going on yeah yeah. like that sort of stuff is also vfx and um thinking about that world of like how you can interact with stuff and and get reactions to happen like that that's always been to me the most interesting part cool yeah yeah i can see that being Uh, really cool so 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 i felt like that kind of definitely plays into like ux 
and and like I, I was realizing yeah. like when I, when I was on Gears of War four, I was doing a lot of weapon effects, and like there's stuff where like on the gun you can detect how much ammo you have left or or like depending on whether you're doing a charge shot with your gun versus like a regular shot like the effects will be different and stuff and there's there's a lot of like communication that happens uh to the player through the vfx on like uh, how dangerous is this weapon compared to a different weapon um or like is this an ice weapon versus a fire weapon or 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 something that has implications in the gameplay where it it felt like it was a natural transition from some of that into doing like the more gameplay oriented stuff. Did you find, I mean, I, I guess now you're making those decisions if it's in your role, but like mm-hmm. when you were on Gears of War, was that mostly prescriptive or did they basically, they, they kind of leave it to you? Like, I mean, I imagine the designers want those visual cues and they expect them. So do they was, deliver that to you as a, as a item to work on or do you make those decisions? There was a combination. Somebody, yeah. Like, like for one, that was an established franchise. So there's some stuff that we did. Yeah. Like, um, I don't know if you, have you played the Gears of War games? I've in dabbled the, in them, but I've never like played through them. Well, there's, there's something I think they, I think they called it active reload where, um, when you would reload your gun, there's like a little, uh, progress bar up at the top of the screen, basically to, sh- mm-hmm. to show you when it's reloading. And there would be like a little tick part way through that progress bar. And if you clicked your button again, when the cursor or when the progress bar was over that little tick, then it would reload faster and you, your next rounds of bullets would do extra damage. Okay. Um, so to illustrate that, it's like if you're shooting your gun at the wall, for example, you, you've got like all the debris and stuff shooting off of it. But if you've got your active reload bonus, then suddenly we're getting little blue sparks that are coming off of everything. Right. Yeah. Uh, so it's a game so, convention. Yeah, so yeah. so like there was a language that was like decided for that stuff, like right from Gears of War one, and I couldn't tell you who it was that did that, but like obviously in Gears of War four, we're still following that convention. Yeah. So so we we've got to do some of that stuff, but we did also have like completely new weapons in the game. So like part of it is like determining like what do these things look like. Like there's like there's different factions in the game. Like there's humans and monsters. And then in four, there was robots as well. And so we wanted to like make it so that like the weapons from these different factions, like you could tell that they were from those factions. Like everything was more like realistic, I guess, like smoke and muzzle flashes and stuff. If you're, if you're using humans, whereas it's much more like angular and uh, sharp and, and like reddish and stuff, if it's the monsters, whereas it's like much more like, electronic and blue and curvy and stuff if it's the robots i see yeah so 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 it's interesting how you could like kind of tell just by looking at the weapon fires like what that it was kind of useful more in the multiplayer like you could tell if weapon fire was coming from one part of the arena or another like by looking at the colors and shapes and stuff like is this a teammate or is it an enemy and what kind of weapon is it like is it a shotgun or is it like a a grenade or something obviously it's going to look completely different cool uh, but yeah there, so a lot of that stuff was convention but a lot of it was new and some of that is just like the effects department itself is deciding like what is this particular guns muzzle flash going to look like versus the stuff where i was saying like the ammo indicator on the gun that was something that nobody had ever 
approached me and asked me to do. It was just something I saw I felt would make the gun look cooler. Like, like there's a gun that uh, is a sniper rifle that you charge it up and it does more damage when it's charged up. And it, and it's like someone had modeled it in a way where it looked like there was little, little lights on it, but nobody had really come up with a, a design for the behavior of those lights. So I like turned those lights into a progress bar as you're charging it. And, and they would like, uh, if you, if you charge that gun for too long, then you lost your ability. Like you were supposed to let go of the trigger when ah, it okay, to its maximum yeah. charge. So then I would like have those lights like flicker out and stuff. Uh, and it was, so, it so was, you had a little bit of, uh, I guess, design leeway with what you were doing. Yeah. And, and it was, yeah. it was, I mean, it was something that I, like that team was much bigger than the team I'm on right now. If I ever wanted to do something like that, especially because I, I was new to Unreal Engine at the time, like if I ever wanted to do stuff like that, I had to go to the weapon designer and like um, get their seal of approval and, and get them to program some of that behavior. Right on. Um, but as I've slowly like gotten more into programming and stuff, like the, the the production I'm on right now is where I've been using C for the first time in, in production. Like I've I, I've finally taken that step so that if I want to have like specific behavior happening when you press a specific button. Now I can you create those it. triggers and, and, and all the hooks necessary to do it. Cool. And I guess that's something you like yeah. by the sense of it. Yeah. Yeah. I guess one quick, before we leave film altogether, uh, I, I was curious actually um, on the tooling and what's different and what's the same. Um, do you still use Houdini? Yeah. Uh, not, not as much, but I, I definitely do. Um, I guess I don't really understand. I mean, so Houdini does like the modeling and the animation and then you export that and then you can bring that into Unreal and apply like behavioral things. Like actually, I'm, I don't know much about that that piece at all. Yeah. So so it's like a, it's a DCC package, digital content creation. Mm-hmm. Um, so anything that's like Blender or Maya or 3D Studio Max or, or Houdini, they're, they're all kind Share of... Share the format similar well yes and no like there there are common file formats that you can use like you know like jpeg is a common mm-hmm. uh, graphics format but you could also use like gif to to for, for the sake of forcing the gif pronunciation um, um so so there, there'll be like obj yeah i think is like a standard uh, geometry format for for maya but in houdini we tend to use bgo uh, but maybe both will use the alembic file format as well like there's anyway the 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 point of it without getting too into the nitty-gritties is that yeah you you can create models in it and you can create animations um and you can create like particle effects and fluid dynamics effects like voxel based stuff and and you can create rendered images in the end so in film um rarely i might create geometry and and send that to Maya for for some reason for animation or something. But mostly I was creating just like final images, um, like the, the same sort of images that you would see on screen. But but yeah. for for film, it like if you have like a live action plate that's been shot, you would have to like create masks and stuff for your fire so that like you're not just seeing fire everywhere, like you're seeing it behind your character, for example. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you would create a lot of stuff like that and then you would send it to the compositing department and they're, they're the ones that would like mix all the different images together and, and like control the blending of them and, and the colors and stuff to really fine tune it into what's on screen. Um, cool. Whereas 
in games, like because I'm not as worried about creating final images, I don't tend to use it quite as much. Like, so like in you Houdini, don't tend to use Houdini quite as much, you mean? Right, right. Yeah. So, like for example, one thing that I did on uh, there was a project I, I did called Darwin Project, um, and there was a character in it who, that had like little orbs floating around his arms and legs and and stuff, like little mm-hmm. energy orbs. And so, if I were doing that 100% for film, like I I would set up this simulation that's like everything is just happening in as organic uh, of a way as I possibly can around the skeleton. Um, it might have freedom. Like some of those orbs might like leave the one arm and like go over to the other arm or something now. And then, um, I don't know. I don't know with it without mm-hmm. getting too into like the, the style of these. Sure, sure. So, <laughs> um, but, but after I do all the particle simulation and stuff, then I would like have to make sure it's working with the lighting and the, and the, the materials are nice. And then I would just render still images of all those and send that over to the compositor. Whereas with games, because everything has to be working in real time, in Houdini, I didn't do a simulation for those orbs. I did static meshes that get uh, attached onto the, as part, they get skinned and rigged as part of the skeleton. So it's just the static geometry that's there. Whenever the animator animates the arms bending or whatever, those orbs just go along for the ride. But I would set it up with information about, um, I'm trying to remember exactly what I did. I guess it doesn't matter, but I, I basically set it up with color information in the in the geometry, like per vertex. Mm-hmm. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, like three D geometry has like it's made up of polygons, which are typically triangles, and each triangle has a corner, and those corners would be like the vertices. So, so each vertex on the geometry i would assign color information and i would use that color information not for the visual purpose but as data that explains the orientation of these things and like how fast i might want them to rotate right on okay and and so then when it's in unreal engine and i we've, we're looking at the animation it's not until you actually look at the material where i read in that color information from the geometry and i use it and and force some uh animation in the material and so it's looking at that orientation and and the the um the speed information and then i'm doing manual rotations per sphere basically gotcha gotcha and and so they're all just looping and they all have independent loops but they're all looping gotcha okay okay interesting Uh, so so there's kind of this interplay between what you do in uh houdini and yeah, how you can like interoperate with uh, I don't know Unreal or whatever other engine. Yeah, do. yeah, it it gets to be much more of a case of like I I I'm I'm thinking of everything all the time as data and like what information can I use to get the results I need later. Mm-hmm. So instead of just like pumping velocities into a simulator and it's taking care of it all, I'm like driving all that math myself in a in a material. So instead of doing it all in Houdini, I figure out the 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 first step of the puzzle in Houdini and then I export it to Unreal Engine and then I'm doing the second part of the puzzle there. Cool. Yeah. Okay. I see. Totally see. Okay. So, so it's, it's interesting because I use it for a lot of, um, a lot more creative problem solving, like hands-on stuff than I used to use it for. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm even using it for like, um, 
when I take it out of the visual effects realm, I'm using it uh, for UI stuff as well. You can work with more than just the 3D software. You can work with uh, 2D images as well. So it's just handy to be able to like do some of that processing in a package like Houdini compared to a package like Photoshop where you can like automate a, a lot of the stuff. Gotcha. More so yeah. that, like when you change your base texture, you can still just like automatically strip it down into like RGB and alpha channels much more easily compared to like in Photoshop, like trying to turn one image into multiple images can sometimes be uh, a bit of a pain in the butt. Mm -hmm. I see. Cool. I was wondering, um, I mean, I could be totally off, but I'm imagining maybe like you get a little more freedom to iterate somewhat in, in the, in like kind of the real time game version of this. Like I, if you're doing, uh, a yes film and, and you okay <laughs> i just imagine if you're doing a film and you've already rendered like half the movie you probably i mean it would be a big expense to time and money wise to go back and redo all of that if you decide <laughs> to change things whereas maybe in games that's going to be uh, situationally the case but like if there's something you're just exporting everywhere you could like tweak the model and now it just behaves differently everywhere in the yeah. game like is there a little more of that freedom in a sense well i mean definitely yeah. like if you look at uh sonic the hedgehog sure that movie that came out yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, like that that was a big deal right yeah like, like people looked at that initial trailer and they're like oh what is this this is not sonic <laughs> well, what are we looking at and and that was a massive undertaking because for them to go they basically had to restart didn't they like throw away everything didn't they i mean it's probably a, a lot of it yeah. yeah i mean i mean where i was saying earlier like where you've got like masks so that the fire appears behind the character instead of in front of the character. Like if you change the silhouette of that character, <laughs> it's a different all, mask. like, it, yeah, like, like you need a different mask too. It's not just the character that needs to be replaced. It's, it's a lot of other stuff. So, um, yeah, the, them, them changing that character. Like it wasn't just a case of changing the character and then the next day everything's done. It's like, you have to re-render a ton of stuff, possibly have to re-simulate a ton of stuff. Um, in games, uh, we 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 don't have the luxury of doing everything perfectly, right? Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. like every, everything has to work from an arbit. I mean, depends on the game. Like some games have locked cameras, but a lot of games the the player could be changing the camera in the middle of firing their gun or something. Like if it's yeah. not a first person, um, so a lot of that stuff just has to work from from a really flexible point of view and and we don't necessarily mask stuff the same way like we're kind of fine if a fire texture intersects a wall or something um there's a little bit more of forgive forgiveness that's uh, yeah. expected from the final product but so like if you're changing that model i think it would be rare that it would affect anyone else like as long as the in it, the underlying rig is the same like there might be spots where maybe someone else is interacting, like taking something from the character's hand and now their hand is in a different position. So you have to adjust the other character too, but it, it would be a pretty minor thing. You could probably change a character's model like the, the week the before a game is launched <laughs> and, and there would be very minimal problems with it. Yeah. So, cool. so in some sense, yes, there's, there's a lot more ability to iterate and do stuff, but it's also, like I said earlier, like there's just, an overwhelming amount of content that needs to be created by a smaller team mm -hmm, that mm -hmm, you, I see, you, yeah. you 
you can't just iterate forever on stuff like you eventually have to just move on and then and that's where i was saying like sometimes you just have to say this thing's not getting done yeah yeah i see cool I, cool i i i i can't i can't remember the quote there was something about like the the, the production is finished when it ships yeah <laughs> yep 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 i don't know the quote either but I, it's, like it's, it's not a case of it's not a case of we decide we're done and then we ship <laughs> it's a, yeah we have to ship so it's done yeah yeah um yeah cool 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 <laughs> uh i guess the one big thing we haven't talked about um you've worked at i actually don't remember your exact history i know you've worked at ea and now you're at a smaller studio there might have been something in between i don't remember but like you've gone from the kind of the big triple a to indie transition thing i guess to some degree anyway uh, i'm just curious like i mean you've been at your current company a while i imagine it's more your thing but just if you could talk at that a little bit uh how that's gone the, the things that are better the things that are worse i mean in general generally speaking of, yes. yeah. whether i mean in general like the, my first job was in at an indie software company right and and it was a small team and i found that the freedom that I had at that small team was like crazy. Like I could do so many things like so many hats. Yeah. Yeah. Like whatever I, whenever I saw something that needed to be done, I could do that. And, and there was a lot of freedom with that. Whereas I found that when you start working as a, as a service provider like at the film studios like that disappears and and it becomes more like this is what needs to be done let's do it to spec mm -hmm. and it's and it's weird because you may have like three different people telling you different specs for the same thing so sometimes you have no idea what you're doing other than trying to please three different opinions mm -hmm. um whereas uh in games at the big studios it was a case of like we owned our own ip right like you, yeah. you're not you're not at the mercy of the property holder to the same extent. So it, even even at the AAA studios, I found that there was a lot of uh, room for self guidance and self direction. Um, obviously, okay. obviously, it is a team. There is a director, and there are leads and everything. And and the nature of it is, is like you're going to be told what to do. But I think because you're so busy at a studio like that with the tasks, like I said, there's eight hours of content and like eight artists or something like when I was in film, two hours of content for 60 artists, like there, there's a, just a, a big yeah. difference on the, on the workload. So there wasn't room to provide opinions outside of your area of expertise, really at the AAA yeah. studios. Yeah. I found it's like you stay in your pigeonhole uh and and do what you're supposed to do and and there wasn't really as much time to to explore the rest of the game really yeah whereas again being back at an indie studio again um it feels like everything matters there's like a very big shortage of people on the production so like if you have an opinion about the gameplay as an effects artist you simply may be the case that nobody else on the team had that idea and you raise it and people may not like the idea and it may go nowhere, but people may also listen to it. And, and it, it feels really nice getting to share your opinion and be listened to. Yeah. And I guess you're in a position now where you have that credibility as well, right? Yeah. 
And I, yeah, I mean, like I said, I've got three job titles now. Um, and, and, and I think it was taking the initiative in the first place. Like when I was on the last project, I was effects artist, but mm -hmm. I would play the game. And I'd be like, I really wish we were doing this thing with the haptics. Um, I really wish we were doing this thing with the sound. Like I, I really would uh, taking mm -hmm. some of that gameplay experience on like the, 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 the feedback on what the weapons are doing. Like I'm, I, I was introducing that from the effects department into the gameplay on Darwin project and, 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 explaining why effects might be a certain color or something because it has an influence on the gameplay where so so it, it was able to to definitely give me some credibility which is why i've got the, the the three different titles now and it's a little bit more official that like if i've got an opinion on the haptics uh we should probably implement it <laughs> cool that's the credibility i refer to yeah cool 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 very cool very cool uh, so, uh, not going back to AAA anytime soon? I don't know. Um, I think, I think we mentioned last time, just the idea of like, would I ever move again? And it's like, you know, I've got 15 years left in my career. I, I'm not, I'm not ruling anything out. Um, right. But so I could entail a, a AAA company or something. Yeah. Uh, but, but I mean, at the same time, I'm, I'm happy where I am right now. It's uh, a, yeah. it's a, uh, getting that freedom to to have an opinion on the gameplay and share that as an effects artist is something that i like i said i don't think i would have that going back to a triple a company um so is there any way yeah i guess one question like i mean would it be conceivable that like a triple a company could hire you into a role where you had that like if you were like a i don't know like a director or something yeah or is it hard to move from a smaller company to a big company in, in a higher level role without the big company experience kind of rising the ranks there? I don't know. Like st statistically, I, I I haven't done any sort of research into that, so I don't I don't know. I've I've mm -hmm. always felt like expressing a a healthy amount of um, initiative uh, and relentlessness can help you. <laughs> move into anything like a, yeah like i guess there's that whole idea of con men where uh like, like the original term was confidence men it's like you, if you behave if you dress the part and act the part people will believe you deserve it yeah it's like if, if you uh take someone's uh, access card for a law firm or something and and just try to go in like people are going to look at you in your t-shirt and jeans and be like what are you doing here you don't belong but yeah uh I don't know. I, I, I suspect that if you do a good job and and uh, can can kind of back up your opinions in a sound way, uh, you're you're going to have uh, uh, credibility anywhere you go. Um, but, cool. but yeah, it's 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 a case of where like effects artists are effects artists at larger companies. And if I were to be in that type of position where I'm having a say in a large variety of stuff that I would need to be in something like a creative director role or something or a gameplay director role or something where you're not necessarily doing the hands-on stuff anymore so much as like maybe playing the game and providing feedback and, and, and having lots of meetings and stuff about it. It's a, uh, the, the, the small indie studios are definitely nice in that regard where you get to also do hands-on. Cool. Cool, cool. Well, congrats. I hope it goes well. Uh, continues to go well for you. Uh, I have to run. So, 
it's over when it's over, right? Yep, it's, uh, it's, over. <laughs> it's done when it ships. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> press the button. All right, cool, cool. Well, all right, see man. you next time. Yeah, take care.